welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I am not joined tonight by our co-host, Grant McGalliard. Grant uh, had to get, uh, go take care of a work emergency. Uh, they, they threw the bat signal in the air, and he had to go take care of it. So tonight, I am, I am flying solo, but I have a great guest still. I have um, your friend and mine, Anthony Treesh from Pro Football Focus. Anthony, how are you? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on. How you doing? Doing all right. How did, did I botch that last name? I'm, I'm uh, terrible with pronunciation. So I pronounce it Tresh, but the funny thing is, is that everybody in my family says it differently. So I don't even know how to pronounce it. But, <laughs> so I, I'm good with whatever. All right. All right. Um, great. Yeah. Well, man, it's great to have you on. It's great to have a week of football games to talk about. And we're going to dive into that a little bit um, and talk about, you know, some, some big news that dropped today. But before we do all of that, Let's go ahead and just, I want to hear about you. Um, you're the senior college analyst at Pro Football Focus. What does that entail? How did you get started in football? And how did you um, end up kind of where you are today? Yeah, so it's, um, it's a, I mean, like everything, it's a long, funny story. But um, so I, back in college, I actually got into the data collecting process of it. You know, I had some experience in the football industry a little bit there. I did a few internships. So Got in there, went in with the data collection team for a little bit part-time, and then ended up getting hired when I graduated. I graduated uh, when I was pretty early, um, when I was 19, out of college, and then eventually came about, uh, I'd say about a year ago, started working on content full-time and into the college realm, and I've been loving every second of it. That's awesome, man. Um, that is uh... Very, very ambitious, and uh, you're you're very smart. Great, um, great content over there at Pro Football Focus and at at PFF Anthony on Twitter. We'll link all that in the show notes so people can get there. Um, and so I want to actually talk about it, an article you have today because the the headline of that article is, uh, or the the tweet you posted was, "There is now a new favorite to win the college football playoff." Um, and your article has a picture of Justin Fields. And I'm interested in this. I want to talk about this because uh, a couple weeks back, I, you know, on Twitter was like, let's make our college playoff predictions. And I had Ohio State in there. I just refused to believe there was a way that the college football playoff was going to happen that Ohio State did not be a part of it this year. So um, why do you think Ohio State is the new favorite to win the college football playoff? Yeah, and I think, I think it's down to between them and Clemson. There's no doubt about that. When you're looking at the quarterback position, I think the debate between Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence is a lot closer than most people think. And, you know, Trevor Lawrence, he's had two great seasons as a true freshman and true sophomore. You don't see that. I mean, by far, I mean, he's been the second most valuable player in college football these last two years behind only Joe Burrow. But Justin Fields, on the other hand, what he did this past year, if it weren't for Burrow, I mean, he easily would have been the best college quarterback. I mean, I think he would have got the hype, but Burrow got all the attention. So he was kind of a little bit of an afterthought there. And it was actually the 10th best season we've ever seen here in the PFF college era going back to 2014. So, I mean, it was, it was an unreal season from him, from, you know, an accuracy and decision-making standpoint. So I would, I mean, I wouldn't choose one or the other. I mean, I'm leaning Lawrence just from all the other rankings. And, you know, when you're looking at how they will be down the road, I would probably lean Lawrence. So I would almost kind of throw that as a wash. So then at the, the next standpoint, you're looking at the positions that matter, you know, wide receiver and cornerback. And I think Ohio State is better suited there than Clemson is. And I think Clemson has, you know, unreal talents there with, you know, Darian Kendrick and Mario Goodrich in secondary forum. And, of course, Joseph Ngata, um, Amari Rogers. But with Ohio State, they have Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson at wide receiver who are two refined route runners. I mean, Brian Hartline's just breeding these guys 
just, I mean, creating separation, making it easier for Justin Fields, you know, to get an open, accurate throw, and he makes them routinely. And then in the secondary, even though they lost Damon Arnett, Jeff Okuda, and uh, Jordan Fuller for the Rams now, um, they still have, you know, guys coming up, stepping in their shoes with Semyon Banks, Cam Brown, and um, uh, Josh Proctor. So I think those three, and even Sean Wade, there's been reports whether or not he might opt back in alongside Wyatt Davis. And he, if he does that, I mean, I think that's even more of a case why. But even if he doesn't, I still think Ohio State's the favorite. I um I totally uh, agree with that. Like it is it is kind of weird because Clemson literally has you know almost the best recruiting ranking that we've like seen coming in this year, and just in terms of team talent is just top to bottom as good as anybody. But then so is Ohio State, and Ohio State's definitely earned the benefit of the doubt in positions like wide receiver and cornerback, um, where they've kind of had that machine of of turning things over. Um, well, so kind of a broader question. Um, I think you, you highlighted and answered it a little bit there. My, when you, when you talked about the quarterbacks first, my next question was going to be, okay, what's the next most important question in college football uh, or sorry, no, most important position in college football. And so I was going to frame it like this, in your opinion, if you're, um, if you're drafting a college football franchise or you're recruiting, I guess is how we'd frame that. Um, you go after the quarterback first, what's the next position you would go get and why? Um, at the college level, so what we've found, you know, at the at NFL and college, it's wide receiver and cornerback right there. And if I recall correctly, it's wide receiver by a hair at the college level. I think I could actually look that up right now as I'm doing this. But um, I, I think it just kind of all depends to who your quarterback is. And, you know, you, you can have a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, you know, and if you had to, you know, really pick a flaw within his play, it's accuracy. And, and that's not to say it's bad. I mean, it's still good. I mean, even this past weekend, he had the highest accurate pass rate in college football. There's no doubt about that. Over 90% of his passes were accurate. So I think at that point, you would kind of want guys that can separate at a high level. Um, so let's see, what do we have here? So, oh yeah. So at the college level, we found cornerback exceeds wide receiver just by a little bit at the NFL level. It's a little bit opposite. But I, I think it just kind of depends on who your quarterback is. Um, but, I mean, it, and, and too, it depends, too, on who the wide receiver and the cornerback is and who we're drafting, you know. So, like, if you had to give me, I would say Jamar Chase, if, assuming we had a full college football season with no impact, it would be Jamar Chase and Derek Stingley Jr., both on the same team, their best wide receiver and cornerback. I think at the end of the day I would choose Jamar Chase in that situation just because he, he does everything you could possibly want at the position. I mean, release package, ball skills, you name it, he does it. I mean, the guy was his physicality, no one could match. And I think Derek Stingley is probably the only one that could probably go toe to toe with him and maybe shut him down effectively throughout an entire game. And we would never see that unless we see it down the road at the NFL level. And Derek Stingley, you know, he was, he was nearly perfect. But at this, at the end of the day, Devonta Smith, I mean, he, I mean, he torched him for over 200 yards, which accounted for a good amount of his receiving yards allowed, but still, I mean, he kind of got exposed just a little bit there. But, I mean, that guy is by far one of the best cornerbacks we've ever seen. So, I, right now, I'd probably lean it, – it's very situational. But in that situation, I'd probably lean wide receiver. Interesting. Well, uh, bringing up Jamar Chase, you know, we are a, a TCU podcast. And so, that's a sore spot for us just because uh, there is a world where Jamar Chase is wearing uh, a different color purple and uh, doing great things in, in CFB. Um, okay, cool. So, kind of kind of shifting the national landscape and just talking on that um, – did your priors on Clemson change at all after their 37-13 win over Wake Forest? Did you get any new um, information about Clemson? Not really, no. I mean, 
if anything, it was just, I mean, it was, um, I, I guess if I had to describe it, it would say beautiful just because Trevor Lawrence was had a near perfect game. I mean, he hit almost every single throw and perfectly like NFL level throws that probably nobody else in college football could hit at times with those outbreaking routes. He was he almost, I think if I recall correctly, he missed only one outbreaking route all season, all uh, game long. So I think that was probably just the best part about it. And so, I, I mean, it, at the end of the day, it, this kind of hurt there with the Big Ten coming back, but definitely hurt, hurt their national title hopes. Because I think, I mean, they were clearly ahead of themselves. And like, like I said earlier, now it's them in Ohio State there, especially with, you know, we were, I'm not sure how you felt about this, but Jamie Newman going to Georgia, we thought they would very much in the, in the running for a national title. I actually had, would have picked them over Clemson had we had the opportunity to see that. So, but yeah, I, 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 cause I saw that, you know, uh, uh, pro football focus really liked Jamie Newman had him highly rated. And I thought that was odd just because of what he was asked to do at wake forest. So like certainly had some downhill stuff, but, and we talked about this uh, on the podcast a couple weeks ago with our guest, Richard Johnson, uh, talking about wake forest with Jamie Newman had the most stressful mesh mesh point that exists in college football. Like Clawson had them doing this kind of slow walking thing. And I feel like that just kind of embodies what they asked Jamie Newman to do, which doesn't really have much to do with his like athleticism or ceiling. But so that's, that's really interesting. So you're saying um, SEC is out of the national championship now because Clemson and Ohio State are, are that much better? I, so now with everything going on, I would say those two teams are definitely in a tier in their own. And I think in that next tier, there's only two other teams and that's Alabama and probably Oklahoma, if I had to say. And I think Alabama is the better of the two. And Mac Jones, you know, my, uh, my colleague, Seth Galina, he, he's a big fan of Mac Jones. And I think he's a little bit higher than me on Mac Jones. But at the end of the day, when you have guys like Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddell, you just need to give them an accurate ball because they're going to be wide open. You're going to either pump a screen over to Jalen Waddle and he's going to get 30 yards after the catch, or you're going to have to hit Devonta Smith on a nine route who's just stacking a guy downfield wide open. And he can do that. So I think that, I mean, right that right there, and plus the defense side of the ball, you have Christian Barmore, uh, Dylan Moses, of course, and Josh Job, the cornerback, a lot of rising talent. So I think they have, I think that I wouldn't be surprised, but if you said any other team in the SEC, I would be very surprised. Yeah, the, so Alabama has a ton of talent around them, and I think Georgia with the drop-off at quarterback is probably, even though that defense is going to be pretty good, I think that is probably too too large for them to insurmount, or, or it, it, that makes the gap between them and Alabama insurmountable. Um, my other question, kind of national landscape, before we uh, turn our attention to the Big 12, did you watch Miami on Thursday night? Uh, Derek King, uh, what are your thoughts on him? Does he look to be the Derek King of 2018? What is his ceiling this year? He, I mean, he looked just like it, and I think, the exciting part about it is, well, I mean, at the end of the day, he didn't play looking at every single game. He wasn't a top five graded quarterback. Um, he didn't play like a top five graded quarterback at all by any means. But everything he did, all of his best plays were off structure. And that's De'Ara King. And considering that he, this was his first game with Miami, he had a limited offseason with him. He's just now, you know, getting acclimated to the offense and he can get it into some true drop back situations. I think that's going to be a scary situation for the ACC. I think, I mean, I don't think they're going to do any damage, you know, be a star horse playoff team or by, by any means, but I think they could go toe to toe with any team on the ACC on De'Ara King's best day, just with what he can do. I mean, we saw it on the scrambles. He scrambled five times that game. Four of them went for a 10 yard gain. 
in a big time, a, an amazing big time throw, you know, when, when he's flushed out to the pot out of the pocket. So I think Miami, I mean, they're just the classic fun team to watch because of De'Ara King. And, you know, I said he, I mean, he lit up a very good UAB defense and I was shocked at how many people thought UAB was bad, but that, that was a really good defense. He, he went up against and how well he played. So I, I think uh, I think he's the real deal. I think he's back to his 2018 form. And really, in the four-game sample we saw from 2019, I mean, his mobility was still there. He was still, I mean, creating plays with his legs left and right. It was just really Dana Holgerson's offense just really did not fit him. Uh, one might even say that Dana Holgerson generally didn't didn't fit him, which is why he's at <laughs> Miami. Now, um, that, that might be a bit of editorializing, though. Okay, so speaking of dynamic quarterbacks, and you mentioned Oklahoma as the other um, as the other uh, potential talent team to kind of contest for the playoff. Let's go ahead and, and start talking about the Big Twelve and start with Oklahoma. So, of course, I kind of have these these as as a general heuristic, kind of three tiers in the Big Twelve. Uh, I, I guess you could say four. It's Oklahoma, then the pretty good teams, then everyone else, and then Kansas. Right. So you kind of have these bends of just. That's, that's how it goes. Um, and so Oklahoma, cleared away, again, looks to be kind of uh, separating itself from the Big 12. Potentially Texas might be uh, an issue there. But Spencer Rattler seems to be a very, very fun toy for Lincoln Riley to play with. And, and you know, you got to discount it because it was Missouri State, it was FCS. But uh, do you expect Oklahoma to miss a beat from last year, transitioning from the experienced Jalen Hurts to the, the freshman uh, Spencer Rattler? Not at all. I mean, ever since Lincoln Riley came there, his five years there, the quarterback at Oklahoma never ranked lower than second of the 130 FBS quarterbacks in PFF grade. And I don't think that's changing this year with Spencer Rattler. Because, I mean, the guy hit all the throws that he needed to. And, I mean, he just looked exceptional from top to bottom. And I was – I mean, I know it's Missouri State, but I was genuinely shocked that right out of the gate the guy is producing – at that high of a level, hitting those deep throws downfield. And when you consider all the playmakers they have, that wide receiver, I mean, he doesn't have a guy like Jamar Chase at all. But still, I mean, that is a very good wide receiver unit. And, I mean, they just really know how to get guys open. I mean, that's the Oklahoma offense. It's very quarterback friendly. And I would not even be surprised if at the the end of the year that we're thinking, you know, maybe Spencer Rattler is the best of the Oklahoma quarterbacks we've seen in recent years. I would not be surprised if that's the case. I mean, that's pretty lofty expectations considering how dominant Baker was in his three years there and then Kyler and Jalen Hurts. But I would not be surprised if that's the case. It's definitely terrifying as, uh, you know, someone who who roots against Oklahoma and roots for another team in the conference uh, to have that development project. Like, not just what Spencer Rattler is going to be this year, but what he could be in, you know, two to three years of just being excellent in that offense. Uh, Paul Sabin from ESPN posted today. He's got some good data. Uh, I'm sure you've got some good data, too. Uh, he posted the completion percentage over expected uh, for NCAA quarterbacks from this weekend. And, and Rattler only had 17 passes, but it was uh, he was plus 22.6, which means his expected completion percentage was 22.6 percentage points lower than his actual completion percentage, which is, um, you know, he's taking taking risks, they're doing great scheme, and seems to be executing. Uh, of note, Tanner Mordecai was second at 19.2, so so that is definitely Lincoln-Riley effect and, uh, and, and four-star effect. Um, kind of moving, moving down the hierarchy of the Big 12, Texas uh, takes UTEP uh, appropriately behind the woodshed. And before I ask about Sam Ellinger and whether he's good or not, I'm going to ask you, is UTEP 
the worst team in the FCS this year? And are they the worst team, or excuse me, in the FBS this year? And is UTEP the worst team in the FBS we've seen in a very long time? Yeah, I, I think they're, they're in the running, that's for sure. If I recall correctly, I think they were 127th in our 130 FBS ELO rankings. Um, I mean, but at that point, once you're getting down to that bottom five, you're, I mean, you're splitting hairs. So I, yeah, I think they're, they're definitely in the running there. I think, I mean, uh, Gavin Hardison, he, he didn't play terribly, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a bad team. Yeah. Pretty, pretty rough, uh, deal for them. So on the other side of that, um, Sam Allinger, 25 of 33, 426 yards, five touchdowns in the air, um, and a QBR of 87.5. Um, Ellinger and Tom Herman have been weirdly intertwined the last couple of years because you kind of have this almost like a rom-com, will they, won't they? Like, are they going to be great or are they not? Um, and so uh, I'll separate Tom Herman and hold that side of the equation constant. Sam Ellinger, uh, is he good? Is he just an experienced quarterback? Where is he kind of um, contextually in terms of his absolute and relative quality in the Big 12? Yeah, and I think I, I, I will be honest. When Sam Ellinger, you know, first, you know, said Texas is back at the, at, in the bowl game, I, I did not – I wasn't buying it at all. I, I didn't think he was that great of a quarterback, but he, he's proven me wrong. I think he is one of the top – I, you could probably throw him in their top five quarterbacks in college football. I mean, including, you know, the all 130 schools there. And just because, you know, you're looking back at the last two years, he's finished as one of the 10 most valuable players in all of college football in this year. He's looking like he's doing it again. He looks even better than ever. And, you know, what we wanted to see from him, you know, getting a little bit better at getting through his progressions. And he, I mean, he's showing that. And when you're looking at, you know, his accuracy, what he can do downfield. We didn't really see it a whole lot, but, you know, his big-time throw rate was in the top 20. His turnover-worthy play rate was, again, in the top 20. And not many quarterbacks are, you know, you're kind of getting, if you have a high big-time throw rate, genuinely you're going to have a high turnover-worthy play rate because you're taking more shots downfield. But that just goes to show his accuracy and his decision-making. He knows when not to throw the ball. And really, well, the biggest thing, especially the draft guys, they, they will preach this about Sam Ellinger. He just has to stop bailing on clean pockets and relying on his legs. And sometimes it'll work out for him. There's no doubt about that. But, I mean, sometimes there's a throw there for him. He could have had a better play. So I think that's kind of the bigger thing there. But there's no doubt that Sam Ellinger, I, I think he is the real deal. He's kind of an interesting statistical quarterback just from the standpoint of one Herman's offense is, uh, you know, high mean, but low, low variance um, in that, you know, they're going to be near the bottom of the big 12 and like yards per first down yards per second down. But on third down they're they're very high because that, those numbers are consistent. Um, and so he's, he's interesting from selection standpoint because he often uses his legs and gets out of the pocket um, and they do a bunch of design runs, but then also he, he does just not make throw. Like he has a really, really high reservation wage. If you allow me to be a little nerdy there and saying, Hey, I can make a risky throw and complete it with, you know, 70% probability, or I can run and convert this first down with hundred percent probability. And, and he happens to, uh, opts to use his legs pretty, pretty frequently there. So, um, and you know, his usage is like crazy weird. Um, when they play Oklahoma, he runs, you know, 25 times a game when they play Kansas, he runs you know, eight. Um, and so, so pretty interesting there. Um, it's hard to make a lot of inferences based off a 56 point win against a just God awful, uh, team. But, uh, do you think Texas belongs in that top tier with Oklahoma in the big 12 this year? Or do you, are you relegating them to, to upper middle-class status? 
I, I don't think they're in that top tier with Oklahoma. Um, if I had to throw them into a tier, I would say they're with the – after the top four we mentioned earlier, I would say they're in with the Notre Dames, the Auburns, the Florida of the world. And, you know, they're a good team, but I don't think they have enough juice in them to go toe-to-toe with one of those big four schools there. And, you know, Sam Ellinger, he did have a good game, but he still only graded out kind of in the low 80s. You know, there was a lot of RPO, throw, RPO throws there. But, I mean, granted, it worked out for him. So I think, you know, this is going to be a good team. They're definitely the second-best team in the Big 12. But, I, yeah, I don't think they, they can touch Oklahoma just quite yet. I thought maybe they would, depending on how Spencer Rattler is. And, again, it's only Missouri State. But, man, he, he looks like the real deal. He, he looked very, very good. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, can I take a slight detour? Um, I just asked. This is my podcast. I'm going to take a slight detour. <laughs> uh, when are comparing something like QBR, which takes some, some you know, ESPN's formula, takes some function of your running value, your passing value, your dumb plays, whatever, and you're taking the, the pro football focus grade. Um, you know, don't spoil the secret sauce. Obviously, there's, there's subjective valuations that goes into that. But what would you say the, the main difference between those two methods of evaluating a quarterback are? Yeah, and I think it's, you know, it's important not to rely solely on one thing. And even PFF grade, it leads you in the right direction, I like to say. And, you know, kind, kind of to know what you need to be looking at. And what I really like more about PFF grade than something like QBR is that I know at the end of the day, we have, I, I know for sure I have four different guys checking each person's work. They don't know what they put on this specific grade but they're going back and checking. I mean, there's a very extensive review process with everything and every single data point collected. And so when I, I know I can trust the evaluations and it, when I say it kind of leads you down the right direction. So you don't have to rely on one metric. You, you can go off of a bevy of different other things. And we have um, something here called PFF ultimate. I'm not sure if you've heard of it or not, but you know, we have any filter you could possibly think of and that, kind of pulls it up and then you can go up and watch the play. So I, I think I like it just because it, it gives you several different things to look at and it, it helps break everything down instead of, you know, just relying on something like QBR or passer rating. And, you know, I will say, I, I mean, I'm biased of course, because I worked for the company, but I, 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 even before my days at PFF, I liked what they did here and, you know, coming here that confirmed it to be true. I think, I think, just, you know, having that as a base, you know, metric there and then going deeper into what that actually means. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I uh, love the grades for sure, just from a standpoint of uh, exactly what you're saying, like, hey, how does this match with what I perceived and, and where does this lead me to kind of look next? So um, that's that's great. OK, well, I'm glad that you have uh, more than one metric because I'm about to ask a complicated question, complicated strictly because we're going to the next tier of the Big 12, which is effectively teams, you know, it could be three through eight. Like, who knows what's there? But the biggest one we need to talk about is Iowa State lost to Billy Napier's Louisiana at home. Brock Purdy did not look good. Uh are you revising your information about what Iowa State might be? Are you changing any opinions about what Matt Campbell might be or what Brock Purdy might be? So I'm, I'm waiting one more game to kind of make a decision here with Brock Purdy. And I think I, I was really disappointed in his performance because I thought he would take that next level. I mean, I mean, there's reasons why he's top five in our draft rankings done by Mike Renner at, here at PFF. And then we had guys at ESPN even saying he was a top five quarterback. It's because – you know, his timing and anticipation, 
is among the best in all of college football. He makes throws that are very, very difficult to do that only a select few can actually make and put on tape. And, you know, he can make plays off structure. That's where some of his best plays are. But that's also where some of his worst decisions happen. And that's what really has killed, especially his PFF grade. And he wasn't able to replicate his true freshman season last year. And, you know, this was one of his worst performances of his career. There's no doubt about that. And what kind of gives me, you know, I'm not comparing him to Trevor Lawrence. I don't think he is a Trevor Lawrence. But, you know, when you can have even him on, he still had a bad game last year when he opened up the, the season against Georgia Tech. And that was, that Georgia Tech team was way worse than Louisiana. You know, I'm not making excuses for Brock Purdy. You know, his uh, throws of over 10 yards downfield. He was the worst graded quarterback by far of the week, down in the low 30s. And, of course, Trevor Lawrence, for perspective, was the best at 97. So, I mean, there's a pretty big discrepancy there. Just, uh, I mean, everything that he routinely showed the last two years, he did not do against Louisiana. And in that, I, it's not to say, you know, Louisiana's a good team, but they're not – an elite team by any means. I mean, he should have had a good game. That should have been Iowa State's win. There's no doubt about that. So I'm definitely concerned, but I'm not ready to write him off completely yet. I, I think we need to give him a game, maybe two more games, and before we finally make a decision, just to kind of see how things shake out. Definitely. You know, a couple special teams uh, turnovers also make that a little more, you know, it's a long offseason and a weird offseason, and so that adds some induced – uh, some some extra volatility there. That's something that I think TCU is uniquely poised to take advantage of because Iowa State has a a, uh, a frankly terrible offensive line, um, and uh, TCU, you know, with the addition of Marcel Brooks, uh, who might be playing defensive end, it looks like, and, and being a really big edge rush, might be able to disrupt Purdy because it does appear from their appearance, their performance on Saturday that. Uh, Iowa State, if you give them the run and shut down the pass, they they cannot function on offense, um, which I think is. Interesting, but also kind of indicative of modern football generally. Um, so Iowa State is still probably in that Big 12 contender realm. Um, if we're moving kind of along that list, then, you know, the next team there for me is going to be Oklahoma State. I have them at a solid fourth. I'm iffy on their offensive line. They didn't play. Their game got postponed. Uh, Mike Gundy was, you know, vocal very early on about we need to play the season. We need to get it back practicing. He's obviously very excited about this team this year. Um, what do you think about Oklahoma State as a uh, – are they upper middle class? Are they rest of the pack in Big Twelve? I, I wouldn't. I would say they're definitely in that middle tier. I think, um, you know, I, I would even say Iowa State's a better team than Oklahoma State. I think, you know, Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace. I mean, I really like Tylen Wallace just because his usage was so different in 2018 and 2019. He showed he can win underneath, but also win vertically. I mean, the guy can do anything you possibly want from a route running perspective. It's very diverse route tree. So I like what he has there, but it's my issues with Spencer Sanders. I mean, we weren't as high on Spencer Sanders as everyone else. When you're looking at, you know, his PFF grade and his wins above average value, which is basically war at the college level. It's just wins above average because you can't, you know, sign a player off the street, essentially, like you can at the NFL level. But, you know, it, we aren't as high in our quarterback rankings, if I call correctly. He was somewhere in the mid 80s. So I think that's what kind of gives me a little bit of pause and, you know, even whether it's college pro or whatever level, you want to you wanna ride with the better quarterback. And I think that's what kind of places them there in that mid-tier type of teams because I think there's a few other teams in that mid-tier that do have better quarterbacks. Definitely. Um, and, and he's a candidate of like a, hey, you know, long offseason, maybe takes that step forward, can kind of be that next uh, quietly consistent Gundy quarterback. 
Okay, moving into that next tier and talking about quarterbacks is a great segue into our only recurring segment on this podcast. And this is normally my co-host's joke, so stay with me for it. But uh, this is a segment I like to call Say Nice Things About Max Duggan. Um, and I'm just going to bat it over to you there. Uh, give us your evaluation of Max Duggan and be nice about it. Um, uh, <laughs> this one's tough. Um, I mean, it, he made some good plays, you know, under pressure, but I, I mean, at the end of the day, that stuff's not really stable just because, I mean, he's a mobile guy and that helps him there, but, but run, um, run for your life on third down is not exactly the kind of, uh, set that you're expecting to project in the future. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, so now that we got the nice things out of the way, I mean, his accuracy, <laughs> man, it's, yeah. That's a concern right there. I mean, when you rank in the bottom five and, and accurate, I mean, just over 35% of his throws beyond the line of scrimmage last year were deemed accurate according to our ball charting process. And for people who don't know, we have, I mean, that's another one of those extensive processes that's manned by uh, Bruce Gradkowski, former NFL quarterback. He reviews everything and makes sure that's a correct thing. And so he was 126th of the 130 quarterbacks last year in that. So, I, I mean – that accuracy is king. It's the most important trait by far at the quarterback position. And it's just not there with them. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the knock, you know, you can, you can kind of go into all these situations about he wasn't expected to start. He realistically should have redshirted uh, behind a couple guys and had some time to grow, but you know, regardless, he was on the field and asked to make some plays and, and had some, had some moments uh, of struggle there. Um, just, you know, in the interest of lingering on, lingering on TCU there, um, what do you think about quarterback development? Uh, is there like an inherent ceiling that we can get out of your first year of play? Are you effectively, you know, who you are your freshman year and you can only improve a lot? Or are there opportunities for quarterbacks to kind of dramatically change or, or substantially improve over the course of playing for four years, which many quarterbacks don't get to do? Yeah, it's, it's rare, really, really rare for freshman quarterbacks to come in and play great right away. I mean, when you're looking at, at all the freshman quarterbacks we've ever came across here at PFF, last year for perspective, Sam Howell was the second best power five true freshman behind Trevor Lawrence that we've ever recorded. And even then he had his own flaws. He still graded out in the mid eighties, which is, I mean, that's great. Don't get me wrong. That's I think top 15, top 20 level. Um, but for example, a guy like Ken Slovis at a USC, he had a PFF grade right around 80.0. And he definitely had his mistakes there, but we were confident in calling him easily a top 10 quarterback, assuming we had a, a non-impacted year this year, just because of what he showed. And then really it all kind of boils down to making just those split bad decisions and ball security in a collapsing pocket. I mean, that's the, that's the most common thing you see, you know, both, you know, with rookies at the NFL level and freshmen in college is that, you know, they struggle to handle pressure first. Sometimes they'll make those bad decisions. You'll see a very high rate of turnover-worthy throws from them, and you'll see a lot of bad fumbles at times. But, you know, you kind of have to look at the traits they do have and, you know, kind of see, you know, can you develop on that? Does he have, for example, like accuracy just because that one is so hard to, you know, drastically improve year to year? You kind of – once you get to even the high school level, it's almost you, you have it or you don't. Whereas other traits, you know, like pocket presence, you know, that's very, you know, you can coach that, but you can't really coach accuracy. So it's, it's pretty rare to see freshman quarterbacks come in and succeed right, right away. But at the end of the day, if you're not kind of in, you know, that 
70s-ish kind of PFF grade range, there's a little bit of concern of how you do just because we've only seen a handful of quarterbacks ever improve their grade uh, 20 grading points in a full season. I mean, it's, it's extremely rare to see. So, I mean, it's, it, they kind of have to show some skills. But, I mean, if you're performing at a very poor level as a true freshman, that's kind of a bad sign for the long term no matter what. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and, and, and about accuracy there, um, you know, the, the us, us normal people really only have access to completion percentage. Um, completion percentage, obviously a little more noisy than say like a catchable ball percentage or accurate percentage. Um, how important do you think though, for, for given the access we have to it, completion percentages and kind of assessing a quarterback generally? Um, I, I think it's one of those things that can kind of lead you down the right, right direction. Um, but, but at the end of the day, you have to consider a lot of different factors there. So, I mean, you have to look at, you know, are they, is the offense very screen dependent? You know, are they scheming up open throws or is he making a lot of tight window throws type of thing? You know, or how, how accurate was the pass? Do you know, did the receiver have to adjust to it? Was it perfectly placed type of thing? So I think it's one of those things that can lead you there, but I, I went, it's never something to say, you know, this guy has a 68% completion percentage. So he's this type of thing you know you hear that on television broadcasts all the time that kind of just drives me you know up the wall because when you when you remove you'd be surprised at just when you remove those I mean you probably wouldn't be but like the casual fan you remove those behind the pass throws you see a drastic difference in a lot of people's numbers and sometimes the guy that would normally be in the top 10 is all the way down you know at 50 so I think it's um it's 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 a good base thing but you gotta kind of like deeper into that definitely I was listening actually to uh, I caught an episode of Seth's uh, college football podcast the other day and he was talking about evaluating kind of uh not behind the line not in rollouts just like in in the pocket and one I thought man I would love to have access to that data too um that that makes a lot of sense because like filter out all the nonsense um and and that's kind of gives you a really good signal of, of who's left there Okay, in the uh, kind of wrapping up the Big 12, I don't want to go line by line through the rest of these teams, but I'm just going to kind of read you off uh, these teams, and I want you to tell me who you kind of think is the most interesting, the most potential candidate there, um, and, and we'll talk about them for a little bit. So there's this kind of weird tier here. TCU's firmly in it, um, and you have West Virginia, Baylor, Texas Tech, Kansas State. Uh, we're not going to dignify Kansas with a response right now. Uh, they got a long way to go. That's fine. But out of that kind of that middle, you know, five teams right there, who is the most interesting non-TCU team uh, in, in that pack and who, who might even contend for the Big 12? I think it's West Virginia by far. And I think Kansas State, you can make a very interesting argument there just because it's, I mean, the offense is so quarterback friendly. Skylar Thompson, you know, he's going to have good numbers but it's so, I mean, schemed up for him, and he can make the throws, so props to him. And they do have a great wide receiver duo there with Malik Knowles, Philip Brooks, big fans of them. But what Jarrett Day has done, I mean, before the year, me and Seth, we were talking, and we really liked what we saw from him in his four games appearances for as a Mountaineer last year. I mean, he looked incredibly better than he did at Bowling Green, and I think you have to attribute that just because that Bowling Green team he was on, I mean, it's Bowling Green. They weren't that great. You know, West Virginia, and they aren't that great either. But, I mean, he looked incredibly better from an accuracy standpoint. And we pegged him before the year as one of the biggest breakout candidates in college football. And, you know, granted, it's Eastern Kentucky, but the guy put up absolute numbers there. And he made throws 
that are just rare to see. I mean, there was a great breakdown Seth had. You know, we were talking about it. There was one throw where he manipulated the linebacker to open up a throw even more. And the best part about that, that wasn't even the best part of the play. It was the, the timing and anticipatory throw he had there. It was just, it was insane. You know, I, I actually wrote an article over at PFF.com highlighting, you know, five players that we are confident that will continue the breakout. He's by far the number one. And, you know, I, I don't think outside of him, West Virginia is kind of in that, I would say Kansas State probably has the most talented roster, maybe. I mean, I think it's close. But when you have Jerry Daigie, who I think has a chance to be, you know, I, I wouldn't even be surprised if he kind of eclipses Sam Ellinger type of level. I, I'm not sure about Spencer Ryler. I think we need to see more from both of them. But, I mean, the guy looks sharp. Definitely. And, and weirdly enough, the more and more I watch college football and follow college football and analyze college football, I kind of find myself creating this dichotomy between the, uh, you know, the otherworldly guys and the very, very good college football players. So it seems almost like trivial to me to compare, you know, why would I compare Sam Ellinger to Spencer Rattler? Like the, 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 they're on op- operating on different planes of existence uh, or, you know, like Trevor Lawrence and I don't know, Dustin Crum. That's a, I guess that's a PFF favorite for a little bit there. Um, it's like, why, why am I comparing them? Like, Crumb might go to the NFL and be good, but like obviously they're very different things. And so I feel like uh, Daigie is, is really firmly in that like he's going to be an excellent college quarterback or can be an excellent college quarterback, um, not maybe a, an otherworldly superstar. Um, I'm also a really big fan of, of Neil Brown. Um, and I think what he did with that roster last year is just impressive. And I think they just have a lot, a lot going for them. So I could definitely see them filling the void there. Um, all right, so... Uh, Anthony, I don't want to keep you forever. I have a couple uh, more or less rapid fire questions here to kind of wrap up at the end. Um, so what, uh, what game are you watching? What game are you focusing on uh, here for week three? Yeah, I mean, I have to say Miami Louisville just because, I mean, when you have, like I mentioned earlier, Derek King and, you know, the uber athletic Titan, he has Brevin Jordan. And then you have Louisville with, you know, I mean, absolute speed across the board with Michael Cunningham, Tutu Atwell, uh, Javion Hawkins, Hassan Hall. I, I think that's definitely the best game by far. And, you know, I think everyone would agree, you know, 100% America there. But I think the underrated one is probably App State and Marshall. Um, I really like the App State outside cornerback duo, Sean Jolly and uh, Shamar Jean Charles. I mean, when you're looking at what uh, Jean Charles did this past weekend, he was our defensive MVP of the week at PFF. I mean, he was absolutely incredible. He had four pass breakups on the day, had an incredible force fumble on 11 targets. The guy, Sean Jolly, effectively locked down his side of the field. But, I mean, Shamar on the other side, he got all the targets instead, but he, I mean, absolutely just played outstanding. And so when you have those two going up against Grant Wells, who, you know, again, he played an FCS defense in week one in his first collegiate start. But, I mean, the man peppered him for five big-time throws and a 95.2 passing grade. So, I think he has legit arm talent. I think he's going to be a very good college quarterback. So I'm excited for that one. I think that's probably the the game most people would see on paper and just say, no, I'm not going to watch that. But I think that's probably the next best game. Maybe Boston College and Duke with Phil Dracovic and Jalen Gill making their transfer debuts there for Boston College is an interesting one. But yeah, App State Marshall is a good one to watch. I had circled UCF Georgia Tech. I think that's just me wanting to believe that that, that one's going to be weird, but i um, interested to see what UCF does just because there is kind of this weird vacuum for them to, you know, if they can reach their ceiling, they might be as close to the playoff as, as anyone uh, uh, outside the P5 could ever be. Um, okay, some other rapid-fire questions. I, I didn't officially ask you for your Big 12 championship game predictions. Uh, who do you have? 
Ooh, I mean, it's got to be you – know, I mean, no matter what, I'm going to Oklahoma. Oklahoma's taking it. I think that's, that's the only thing I'm confident in. You know, even with Texas, I think, being better than – I mean, everyone other than Oklahoma. But I think no matter what, it's Oklahoma's. I, I can't see – if anyone told me Oklahoma's not winning, I would say, I'm, I'm not believing you. That's not going to happen type of thing. So I think – I mean, it doesn't even matter. I think, I think it's Oklahoma's for sure. Hard to, hard to agree with that or disagree with that. Excuse me. Um, all right. Who is kind of your under the radar player for 2020? Some of you're thinking, Hey, this isn't a household name. This is the guy you should watch. Um, so I would say Jerry Deggy, but we just talked about him, but <laughs> um, how about with the big 10 back? There's a couple that I really, really like there. One of them is Minnesota cornerback, Benjamin St. Just, you know, he used to go to Michigan you know, he had a kind of a situation there. He was going to medically retire, but then he came back out, transferred to Minnesota, you know, highly coveted recruit. And he looked exceptional in his one year as a Golden Gopher last year. I mean, he has incredible press technique. He has long arms and he can, he's amazing at the catch point. I think he's going to be a very good cornerback. I wouldn't be surprised if people, you know, at the NFL level are starting to talk about this guy really high, not too high, but you know what I mean? I think they're, I think people are going to start to realize how great of a player he is. And also at the quarterback position, Michael Penix Jr. of Indiana. I think Indiana with him, they have a squad. I mean, that guy, from anything you could possibly want, accuracy, mobility, pocket presence, you know, arm strength, he's got it. I mean, in the bag. He only took – he only appeared in six games last year due to injury, but he was incredible in that six-game sample. Had, hardly had any negatively graded throws in our grading system. So I think that Indiana team, I don't think they're – I think they're definitely in that second tier of Big Ten teams. I think they could pull off an upset victory. They're not, obviously not going to touch Ohio State, but I think this might be the best Indiana team in program history. I mean, they've had, if I recall correctly, prior to last year, they hadn't been in the AP Top 25 since 1994. And, you know, they barely squeaked in there for one week last year, if I recall correctly. So I think this could be the best Indiana team in program history with Michael Penix Jr. Interesting. A lot to, a lot to look for there. Um, you've mentioned some, some interesting coaches just kind of in the, um, you know, in the, in the normal passing of conversation here. So I was going to ask um, kind of a, along that line of, of who's your favorite offensive coach in, uh, in college football? Who's, who's the guy you're always trying to watch the most interesting uh, kind of open-ended there? Yeah. That, hmm, I'd say that one's a tough one. I think Mike Leach, I think that's kind of the cliche one just because he does, it's it's so much fun to watch the air raid go, go into form there. You know, they have one of the highest pass rates. And, you know, we here at PFF, I mean, even though once you get to that college level, the running backs don't matter. Debate kind of, you know, kind of fades away just a little bit just because when you have guys like Travis Etienne, you know, the talent discrepancy there, running backs, he does actually matter just because so so many guys are on another athletic, you know, playing field that it's just not even fair. But, you know, we really like what Mike Leach does has – led the Cougars to a very efficient passing attack. So I think he's going to cause some havoc down there. You know, I was really curious to see how Todd Monken would do with uh, Jamie Newman, of course. Um, I mean, my heart was broken. I understand when he did it. It was a great business decision. And, you know, the, the health factor, I, I totally respect it. But, you know, it, I, I really wish, you know, we had a full normal season because I, I thought that would have been – I thought that would have been a special offense there. More pro-style concepts there instead of that – RPO based one that he was stuck in at Wake Forest. Yeah. Uh, same question, but for defenses. Ooh, defenses. I think, I mean, I, I really like, you know, we're talking about Indiana. I, I really like kind of what Tom Wilson 
is done with that program there on, you know, on both sides of the ball with that defense too, man. I, I think he, I, I talked a lot about Michael Penix Jr., but when you're looking at that defense, what they did there with the talent they have, you know, he kind of brought some guys into light with uh, Tywan Mullen, who's uh, the little brother of Trayvon Mullen and actually cousin of Lamar Jackson. I mean, great family tree there. He's actually absolutely signing star at outside cornerback there. So I think, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of talent there, but they made it a formidable one. So I, I, w- I would say I think that's uh, an interesting one, kind of an under the radar. Interesting. Um, so, okay, you kind of brought this up. I was going to ask where you stood on the whole uh, establish the run versus uh, establish the run debate generally. Yeah, and I mean, if we're talking NFL, yeah, I mean, you see it on Twitter, running backs don't matter. It's the 100% truth. I mean, if you don't, even the Christian McCaffrey's of the world, the Alvin Kamara's that are great receivers, and that's how they generate their value, it's you either so irreplaceable it's not worth investing any more than a day three late flyer pick and then after that you're on to the next late day three undrafted free agent type of guy you're not going to resign him but like I said at the collegiate level I think you could probably make the case that there are maybe 10 running backs that that's when the run game matters with those 10 running backs just because they are so far above everybody else that it's just it's unfair I mean, you saw it with, I mentioned Travis Etienne and, you know, you get flashes of it with Chuba Hubbard and you're going to see it with Trey Sermon at Ohio State. That's another reason why, you know, it's not a very valuable facet by all, even at the college level. But, you know, I think they're going to face some defenses that just won't be able to handle Trey Sermon. And so I, it's a little bit different. And I think that's a, it's a good thing to ask and kind of establish that, you know, it's different at the college level, but I mean, I mean, you still want to see, you know, those high rate of passes, you know, a lot of play action passes type of thing. So yeah, it's, it's, it, that was a good question for sure. And I think that's an, an important thing for a lot of people to understand that, but I mean, even though it's football, they're different playing fields there. And it's a little bit different. Uh, yeah. I, I, I try to articulate better. Yeah. Twitter's a terrible place for this, but cause so Chuba Hubbard quote unquote killed TCU last year. Realistically, he had two long runs that were mostly a function of you know, them being at the 40 or their own 40 and their own 20 yard line, as opposed to any, any skiller effort, but saying like past a certain threshold of talent, the identity of the individual running back matters less than his offensive line and his scheme. Uh, but in college that, you know, that, that threshold of talent is like 10 guys where in the NFL, it's like 30 guys. So, so it matters a little bit uh, differently for, for sure. Okay. My last and final question. Um, Getting back to asking, this is so great because we've been so long off season. Uh, give me your playoff predictions, all four. So we have two of them. Uh, I think we have Clemson and Alabama, or Clemson and Ohio State uh, confirmed. Those are both in the playoff for you. Who, who's rounding out your top four? Yeah, I, I think um, it, it would have been Georgia for sure, but I, you got to throw Alabama in there. I think the SEC is theirs for sure. And I know Florida fans hate me for some reason because I said Kyle Trask isn't as good as the stats say, but – I don't think they're on a. I don't think they're at the Alabama level yet. Neither is Auburn. And without going, without Jamie Newman going to Jaden Daniels, that's a big drop off. I, I can't see Georgia doing that. Despite the, I mean, they have talent across the board. So I would say Alabama for that third spot. And I, I think Oklahoma is gonna. I, I don't see them losing a game in the Big Twelve. So at that point, when you have an undefeated Oklahoma team, you have to throw them in there. But I think it's just, it's going to be the same you know, college football playoff story, whoever gets Oklahoma, 
I mean, it, it, they're probably going to torch their defense, whether it's Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence type of thing. But, yeah, I, I would say those four, with everything played out right now, that's how it would be. Kind of boring that it's going to be all chalk, but, man, there's going to be some good football, and we've got a lot of games until then. My guest tonight has been Anthony Tresh of Pro Football Focus. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at PFF underscore Anthony. Uh, Anthony, thanks so much for being here, man. I uh, appreciate it, and we'll catch up on Twitter soon. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on.